hope little Jack there is showing you that uh, even wee ones can learn Scripture and memorize Scripture. In fact, in some ways, maybe they can do that better than adults, but um, hopefully that's an encouragement to families to make that a priority. I realized just as I um, was about to walk up here, pretty funny, man, I just... I, uh, I realized I didn't think about who we could pray for this morning as a, another church or a local official. Two things that I want to do every Sunday. I also didn't go to the bathroom first, and I had to go to the bathroom, so it's pretty funny. I, just as human as can be up here this morning, so maybe the sermon will be shorter this morning. I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> Somebody said amen. Man. All right. I'll take their name later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Let's just open in prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll pray for our time together. And uh, we can always pray for Greg and Tracy in Westminster Presbyterian. Let's lift them up this morning. <clears throat> Lord, we are looking forward to the time that we have together at the table. Thankful that you provide good nourishment, that you uh, feed us and fuel us, that you direct us and guide us thankful that we have the word in our language, that we can sit and eat and enjoy any time. Lord, I'm thankful that this morning that we have uh, versions in our lap that we can trust that are really good representations of the original language that give us a good, clear understanding of what you've said and what you've done in the person and work of Christ. Lord, I pray that's something that will... um, be attended to this morning, just a really supernatural, Holy Spirit-led way. Lord, we do want to pray for another um, pastor and his wife and for the, this church body. We want to pray for Westminster Presbyterian and Greg and Tracy Fields, just good friends and fellow worshipers in our community. We pray for their church, Lord, and pray for your people there, that they will enjoy you. and pray that uh, worship will be um, fervent and uh, true and relentless. And that it'll endure and persevere as we do for us. Lord, we turn this time over to you. And I pray that, that uh, you'll just awaken our hearts and make us especially attentive this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we are in the book of Hebrews. Jake, it seems like I'm loud, feedback loud up here. Like I'm having to whisper so I don't hurt somebody. I'm thankful that Jack shared those passages this morning, Jack and Tiffany, because we will come back to them, those first four verses in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. But we're going to be picking up in chapter 2 this morning. I want to kind of reacquaint you with what the book of Hebrews is. It is a sermon. The writer of the book of Hebrews is a preacher and a pastor for a church that's primarily what we believe to have been Hellenistic Jews, likely in Rome. So if we climb into this as a sermon, then there are some things that we can look for and some things that we should see that will inform us of what good preaching is. Really, the entire first chapter is what I would call exposition. It's not a real fancy word. You can figure out what's being said there. He's exposing some realities and some truths. The passage that Jack shared this morning, just in those first four verses, there's some awesome truths exposed. Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then there's seven awesome, crazy, awesome realities about Christ. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seven realities, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Foundational exposition, really, for the rest of the book. But for chapter 2, where we're going into this morning, that's exposition that he's going to now use and turn to what's called exhortation. Every good and proper sermon should have exposition truths that are exposed, and then exhortation. If you're going to err anywhere, err on exposition alone, which I think it's err because there's certainly places to exhort and apply and charge. But if someone were to err, if you're hearing a preacher and saying, okay, I want to get something out of this, and the truth has been exposed, then you celebrate it. Ideally, though, sermon after sermon should expose and then exhort If you have a sermon that's heavy on exhortation but light on exposition, it's motivational speaking. Something that's light on exposition is just a pep talk. Proper preaching exposes and then exhorts. And in this letter slash sermon from this Hebrews preacher slash pastor... He's shifting gears in chapter 2 after a whole chapter of exposition, and he is now exhorting. So in some ways, what we've done is we've done the hard work of engaging the exposition over these last few weeks so that this morning we can really enjoy, this morning and next, the first four verses of chapter 2, which are exhortation. He's exposed the greatness of Christ so far in those four verses. And he's exposed his superiority over the angels, Christ's superiority over the angels. And now he's going to say, here's what you got to do with that. Here's how you ought to respond to those realities. And then after verse 4, he's going to move right back into exposition. And he's going to expose some more things about angels... But ultimately what he's going to expose in the rest of chapter 2 is he's going to deal with Christ's unique relationship to humanity in contrast to angels. And now that we've got a landscape of where we are in the first couple of chapters, we're going to climb into the first verse of this exhortation, just verse 1. So for those of you who are trying to memorize as we go, you got an easy week. you got one verse to memorize along with chapter 1. And then uh, next week we'll consider verses 2 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. What I'm going to do this morning is really just unpack this verse, almost like it's a cargo train. One car at a time. Not really one word at a time. In some cases it may be a word, but it may be a phrase. We're going to unpack it, and then we're going to engage our own exhortation in the exposition of his exhortation. Okay? 
If you're following that, we're going to begin with the first word, therefore. I personally hate quippy sayings, period. But this is a pretty good quippy saying. If there were one that you would embrace, go ahead and embrace this one. If you see the word therefore in the scripture, ask what it's there for. Makes me want to gag every time. It It seems cheesy. But it's a good thing to remember for Bible study. Ask the question, why is that word there? That word could be translated because of what I just said. Instead of therefore, he could have said, now, because of what I just said in chapter 1, da-da-da-da-da. Or he could say, in light of these truths that I just shared with you, da-da-da-da-da. Or on account of this, exhortation follows. So considering that, let's go back and just consider briefly what he's just said. Therefore, his exhortation begins with therefore, pointing back to because Christ is heir, we must pay much closer attention to what he said. After all, it all belongs to him. Because Christ is creator, we must pay much closer attention to what he said since he's the designer. I thought this morning, you know, just kind of thinking about a weird illustration. If Steve Jobs, let's say he's still alive. Let's say he called you and said, hey, I want to come give you an in-home tutorial on your iPhone. Would you be like, man, that's cool. This guy designed this thing. He's going to give me some inside scoop of how this thing works. That's what's being said here. In light of, in light of, of Christ being the creator, Let's pay especially close attention to what he said and done. Third, because Christ is the radiance or the effulgence of the glory of God, because he is the very beams of the glory of God, we should pay much closer closer attention. In fact, after all, he's how we can take a look into the sun. For God, we know, is unseeable, (laughs) We can't see him and live, but we can look at the beams of the sun and live by looking at the sun himself. So we must pay much closer attention. Because Christ is the exact imprint of his nature, we must pay much closer attention. Because he upholds and sustains the universe by the word of his, as Jack said, power. We must pay much closer attention. He created and is creating November. What you got planned in November? Whatever you got planned, trust me, is going to be trumped by whatever he has planned for you. Therefore, you must pay much closer attention to what he said. He's the creator and the sustainer of November. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. Because he made purification for sins... We must pay much closer attention. Imagine yourself on death row. Imagine that you've transgressed some law to the point where it is so bad that you've been placed on death row. You have a needle or a chair appointed for you. Imagine that someone not only releases you from death row, but then takes your place on death row walks the green mile down to your chair, 
or down to your needle, but that person left a message for you. Would you want to hear it? I would kill to hear that message from such a Savior. That's what he's saying here. Because of this one who has made payment, expensive payment, red dripping payment for your sin, we must pay much closer attention to what he said. And lastly, because he's seated, not quite lastly, next to last, because he's seated at the Father's right hand as ruler, we should pay close attention. And lastly, because he is so much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, we must pay much closer attention. You know, when angels show up in our Bibles, people will like fall down, faint, quake. I mean, what, what did they say about the guys when the stone was rolled back? The, the guards, they were, fell down as if dead, passed out. When angels show up and they say something, man, people are listening. And this Hebrews writer is saying, he is so far superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is better than theirs. We must pay much closer attention than if an angel showed up in your kitchen or your den. That's how critical and deep and important and um, impacting and potent are these words from Christ. These sort of truths, when you really engage them as heir, creator, radiance, exact imprint, upholder, or sustainer, the one who's paid for our sins as redeemer, the one as ruler who's done all these things, when we really consider what he said and done, then that fits with the word must. We must pay much closer attention. This word in the original Greek does not mean should. It doesn't mean ought. It is a seriously strong imperative. We must pay attention to what he said. And in fact, this word implies that it's not only a logical thing to pay attention. It is a morally right thing to pay closer attention. That word adds to the realities of what he's pointing back to. And then there's a word that really is sweet to me and means a lot to me. It's but a we word, and it's the word we. If I preached this message seven or eight years ago, I may have missed this word because I may have been thinking as I'm preaching up here, you must pay much closer attention. But as I'm reading this passage, I see that word we, and, I, and I'm climb, able to climb into the heart of this preacher slash teacher slash pastor, and I hear him saying, we must pay much closer attention because any of us can begin to take it for granted, including this Hebrews preacher. And that we is sweet. It tells me that this warning that we're going to engage this morning isn't for the remedial, it's for the breathing. It's a serious warning for anyone who calls Christ Lord. If anyone says, man, I got this, I don't need a warning. Take heed lest you fall. This Hebrew preacher says, we must pay much closer attention. The next two words I want to deal with separately or next four I want to break up. Pay much closer attention. I want to look at pay attention and then I want to look at much closer. First, pay attention. This word is used elsewhere in our Bibles, all over, really, all over the, the Gospels for Beware. 
kind of a negative aspect is used as the word beware. Turn to 1 Timothy. Actually, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to share some other snapshots with you as you're turning there. 2 Peter chapter 1. This word, pay attention, is used in Acts chapter 20 for the care that an elder must take over his own life and over the lives of those he shepherds. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. It's the same word. It's used in 1 Timothy a number of different ways. Listen to these references. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. That word addicted is the same word. In other words, not paying attention to much wine. It's used a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. They will pay attention to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. It's used in verse 13 of chapter 4, where Paul tells Timothy, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Pay attention to these things, Timothy. And then in 2 Peter is a beautiful use of it. 2 Peter chapter 2, actually, excuse me, chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, listen to this. This is beautiful. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He says, hey, I was there when the clouds parted and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I was there in the flesh is what Peter's saying. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him in the, on the holy mountain. He must be speaking of transfiguration there. Listen to verse 19. And we, though, have something more sure. Let me tell you something. People put such a crazy high priority on dreams and visions. And God told me this and God told me that. And I I don't want to discount any of that. But you want to know what's more sure than that? This. This is the point he's making. He's saying, I heard the clouds part when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to, here's the word again, pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Just some little snapshots of other uses of the same word tell us that we should more carefully pay attention to what Christ has said and done. We should be addicted to it. 
You hear that? Should be addicted to it. We should be devoted to it. It should be for us like a lamp shining in a dark place. It should be like we engaged last week, something that we long for like pure spiritual milk. Notice there in 1 Peter as well, that's present tense, long for it. As you are present tense being built up into a spiritual house, as you are present tense as in this passage, pay attention, present tense. At our small group this last week, Clint shared, I didn't ask for his permission, I, don't, I know he wouldn't mind, he shared that one of the most profound things that God has shown him in the last couple of years is the reality that faith is present tense. See, the problem is for so many of us, it's become kind of a quippy saying, once saved, always saved, that sort of neuters the reality that it is a present tense, ongoing journey. People are fearful about engaging those sort of things, maybe implying or fearful about implying that you can somehow lose your salvation. Let me tell you something, I'm afraid of that too. I don't want to ever imply that. But I will say this, if faith is true, it has an ING to it. It longs. It is being built up. It is paying attention. That's a present tense verb here that we should engage and enjoy and consider. And then there are the words, much closer. These words, much closer, are, is a, is a, in, in the original Greek, is a comparative adverb. It means that it's comparing in reference to someone or maybe not someone else, but maybe another time. It could be saying, we must pay much closer attention now than you, than you have been. And that's probably implied. But what seems to really be brought out here is we must pay much closer attention to what's been said considering who said it than the Israelites paid when God spoke through the prophets. They didn't pay attention. In fact, they killed the prophets. But he's saying we, we must pay much closer attention than they did to God via the prophets because Christ showed up. He spoke. The message that we have through Christ is worth paying much closer attention. Because he's so great, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Let's consider that for a moment. What we have heard. That word in the original language is, the root word is akuo, which is where we get acoustics. That word in the original language means to hear, but it's not just hear, to collect information in your eardrums, but to heed. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard and heeded. It could be translated. Let's just consider for a moment, what did they hear and heed? We can look back to verses 1 and 2. Thankful that Jack engaged those again this morning. Look back at those. Hebrews chapter 1. Turn back there. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2, this is going to sort of unlock for us what are we supposed to pay attention to? What are we to hear and heed? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by, you likely wouldn't remember this. Honestly, I didn't even remember it from my own sermon a few weeks ago. 
by son. The key to what we are to hear is in that phrase right there. It says by his son right there. That word his is not in there in the original language. You can put a light scratch through it so that you remember this point. It's called an anarthrous use of the reference to Christ. And what it would be, it'd be like saying that he spoke to us by, in, with, through, about, son. He spoke to us in the Son, but the Son wasn't just a messenger. The Son was also the message. He spoke to us sun-wise. You remember that? In sunglish, you might remember that. The language was sun. The topic was sun. The reality that he exposed was and is sun. If we want to know what we are to hear and heed, it is the message by the Son, the message about the Son, the message that is the Son. He is the messenger and he is the message. And he is what they heard and heeded. And he is what we are to pay attention to as we hear and heed. Don't reduce Christ to a quippy series of passages that try and represent all that he is. He's this whole Bible. That's why we have to continue to pay attention. If it were just a couple of passages, if someone say, man, all I need is John 3.16, you've missed it, bro. While one verse is completely true, it does not reveal the truth completely. What he's saying is continue to hear and heed all that Christ is. Look for Christ in the fall. As you see the first Adam fail, enjoy the second Adam. As you see an animal that sacrificed the first death known to man in history. As you see an animal that sacrificed and skin that's separated from muscle and flesh. And skin that's cut into two pieces, I guess. I don't know what the garment looked like. And wrapped around Adam and Eve. See an innocent killed so that he can provide some clothing to cover the guilt and shame of the guilty. And see Christ as we wear his righteousness. Man, look for Jesus. Hear and heed it. It's all in there. Look for Jesus as a new and better Noah, having made a way through the future deluge that won't be rain, but instead fire. Hear and heed and pay attention to Christ. It's the ram in the thicket, Isaac's ram. The ram that Abraham must have been thankful for. I love that ram that God provided so that Isaac could continue to live. Look for Christ as the Passover lamb, providing blood for their doorposts and nourishment for the journey. Look for those passages and look for Christ in those passages. That's to continue, present tense, pay attention to what you've heard and heeded. We shouldn't reduce him to a quippy saying or just a few series of passages realizing this whole book points toward him. He's the rock that was struck in the wilderness that water gushed forth from. He's the suffering servant. He's the righteous heir. He's the faithful priest. He's the righteous son 
that we kiss and take refuge in, in the Psalms. The pay attention present tense means that you are continuing to engage sunwise. Continuing to engage the sun. And if we don't, what he says next, this is the stark warning of the passage. If we stop listening sunwise, if we stop engaging the sun of the scriptures that's exposed, the reality of his work, all that he is and will ever be, he says, or else, or lest, we'll drift away from it. That word lest sort of sounds like it's a possibility. The word there could be translated or else. You stop paying attention sunwise and you will drift away. This word drift away is a nautical term that describes slipping by or passing by your takeout point in a river or the harbor in the ocean. Some of you who've been on a whitewater river, you know, may have an idea of what I'm talking about here. When you fought the whitewater rafting for I don't know how long, a couple of hours maybe, and you come into that takeout point, that's a welcome takeout point because it's the takeout point before you enter into class four, five, and six rapids where people die and drown. That's a welcome takeout point. And you're like, man, I don't want to miss that. Or if you'd been on a ship and you've been traveling for some period of time and there's a storm coming and you're like, man, I want to make safe harbor. But you see the wind carrying you beyond it. You're like, man, we got to get that way. That's the image that's being conveyed here. You will drift away from it if you stop listening. If the wind is strong enough to carry you past your harbor or the current strong enough to carry you past your takeout point, who knows what's downstream or downwind Shoals, reefs, waterfalls, if you're in a river. If you can climb into this imagery just for a moment, you should realize the further you drift away from that takeout point or that harbor, the harder it is to get back. You have to fight upstream, and you could potentially be lost. I think if there's a teaching in my journey of faith that's been underdeveloped is the notion of being lost. For me, what's built into me since my earliest days, and I, I do not trash my early teaching. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm hopefully rounding out my early teaching. My early teaching was once saved, always saved. Quippy sayings, remember? Quipping sayings don't reveal all the truth. The reality is our Bibles tell us that there is such thing as something called apostasy. Listen to this passage from Hebrews chapter 5. You can turn there a few pages over if you want to. Beginning in verse 11. Just listen to what's being developed here. About this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since, since you've become dull of hearing. You see there it is. There's the problem of the Hebrew church. You stop listening. You become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Jump down to chapter two or chapter six. 
Therefore, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now listen, it's impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away here, drifted past the harbor, past the takeout point to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Most of my life, that's been a read real fast technique. We just, the preacher, instead of engaging, it just reads real fast over it or skips it. Now, I read real fast to get to the point. I want to engage it. It's unlike God to say that there's something that's a possibility unless it's a possibility. God's not one to make empty threats. <laughs> He's saying that here there's a reality. You can get so far past the harbor or so far past the takeout point that you can be lost. And then when you're out there, you're crucifying Christ all over again. It's impossible to restore you. The reality is the quippy sayings takes the fear out of that. God's people don't quake at that notion anymore. And the reality is we should hear that and go, Lord, by your grace and mercy, may it not be me or my wife or my family. Here's something that hit me this week. I, I've known about th two sets of sons, and a third set of sons blew my mind. I've known about Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Aaron, the first priest, you know, Moses' brother became priest. He had a couple sons named Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu went freestyle in worship. We don't know exactly what they did. The scriptures just say that they offered up strange fire. And you know what happened to them? They became the sacrifice. The fire that they offered up actually consumed them and they were sublimated in worship as, a, as an offering. Two brothers. One generation away from the priests. I mean, they were priests themselves, but bad ones. That's Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Then there's Eli's sons, Phineas and Hophni. I can't even repeat some of what these guys did. What I can repeat is there was a practice of a certain amount of meat that was given to the priests so that they could eat and feed their families. That wasn't enough for Phineas and Hophni. They said, we want more. We want the fatty portions. When you come to worship, give us the best. Here's something that blew my mind. I found out about it Friday from my own children who were studying 1 Samuel. Samuel's sons went south too. Man, Samuel was golden. I mean, you look at some of these things, you say, well, Aaron must have been a sorry father. You look at Eli and say, man, you must have been a sorry father. I'm not going to preach about you on Father's Day. But Samuel had it going on. Samuel was awesome. And Samuel had two, two sons, Joel and Abijah, and both of them went south, took bribes and perverted justice. We have examples all over our scriptures of people being one generation away from faithfulness and going south. You think it's not possible for you? It seems like this Hebrews preacher realizes it's even impossible for him. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard And we sit back on flowery beds of ease, sitting on quippy sayings, not realizing that many will fall away, in fact. Listen to this passage. 
You can jot it down. I'm already there. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You could say, into the harbor. To the takeout point. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Let me tell you something. Apostasy happens. It happens. Matthew chapter 13. The sower, the seed, and the soils. You may remember where the seed hits. The seed is the message of the gospel. We could say the seed is the son. Remember? He's not only the messenger, but he's the message. So the son hits different types of soil. He hits the soil that's by the way. The path. Remember the raven comes out and picks up that seed Eats it, flies off. Call, call. The seed also hits rocky soil, which is also shallow soil, and it doesn't survive either. The sun comes out and it scorches it. The third type of seed hits weedy soil, but it doesn't survive either because the weeds overtake it. And the fourth type of soil is the good, rich, loamy soil where the seed hits it and that hearer hears it, heeds it, understands it, and bears much fruit for the distance. The Matthew 13 parables are the kingdom parables. It's like Jesus saying, you want to know how the kingdom works? Here's how it works. A lot of people will hear this seed and you know what? A lot of people will bail on it. They'll go out from us because they were never really of us. A lot of people will drift. A lot of people will get caught up in the current of life and drift right past the harbor, having been on a direct course for it. He's not saying it's a possibility. It seems almost as if he's saying it's highly possible. Many will do this. And you know what? Many do. In eight years, it's probably been one of the most traumatic things for me as a pastor to see the ebb and flow of worship. And see people come in the front door, like joy all over their face, all over their, in their mouths, in their hearts. And then a few years later, where'd you go, man? Crickets. Went to a wedding yesterday. And at this wedding, I thought about what's in common with weddings is joy. Man. Right? I hope yours was joyful. And I hope maybe one coming up will be joyful. You know, you got a wedding in store, or you've been through one recently, or you think back, it was joyful, wasn't it? But those that were married some time ago, you can think back and go, man, woo, what I didn't know then. About the work in store. About the currents taking me away from the harbor of joy. But for those who go the distance, you find it, don't you? Marriage is a great picture of faith. Everybody's faith journey starts out with joy. Everybody's faith journey starts out with some sort of emotional experience or tears. Or man, I remember the day. It was awesome. I don't want to minimize the joy. But I'm telling you, most people don't go the distance. Because they stop listening. They stop listening to the son about the son. Three exhortations from the exposition of his exhortation. First, given who spoke, err. 
creator, radiance of the glory of God, exact imprint of God's nature, redeemer who's paid for our sins, ruler, sustainer, I got one out of order, the one who upholds the universe. Given the one who spoke, we must pay close attention to what we've heard and heeded. Don't catch yourself saying, oh man, I got the gospel. (laughs) I got that. (laughs) Can we move on to something more current? Let me tell you something. If you're in that place, here's one thing I will tell you that is true. You're drifting and don't know it. You think people that are on a ship drifting know they're drifting? The captain knows, but the rest of them are oblivious to it, man. Just hanging out, drifting. If you're in that place and saying, no, I got the gospel, you're drifting. Because you've got to realize the gospel is not something that you got. It's something that you hear, present tense, and heed. It's something that you have to continue to pay attention to. It's present tense, and we're all needing it. You should also know that it's an audible. It's an audible message. It's a great example of these realities. Listen to these passages. Galatians chapter 3 verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? A couple of verses later. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, these go together. Hearing and faith. Listen to this from Romans chapter 10. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom, in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach Unless they're sent. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing, sunglish, about son. I'm going to tell you this right now. When hearing wanes, faith wanes that is a promise when hearing wanes faith wanes the second exhortation a little background Scott and I were talking this week about some of the difficult things that we hear from our people in, in regards to this message the thing that Scott and I are hearing, I know the other elders are hearing it, and deacons, you're probably hearing this too, or we may all be part of it, is what we're hearing about is an epidemic of busyness. An epidemic of busyness. Scott said, you know, I don't ever hear anybody saying, you know, my pace was really slow this week, and I really listened to God. You're like, hey, man, how's it going? What's going on? Oh, man, I'm just trying to keep it in the middle of the road. I got soccer games. I got t-ball. I got music practice. I got uh, scouts. I got, you know, school stuff. I got all kind of crazy stuff we can all insert in there. 
If any of you are thinking I'm talking specifically about you, hopefully those were anonymous enough to where you know I'm not, we're not speaking about anybody specific. It's an epidemic of busyness. And I thought, man, that's so true. And what I realized is it's a great example. The first sermon that I ever preached here in view of a call was from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 say that we should make the most of our time for the days are evil. Does that mean Sunday, the 30th of October, is evil? It's not saying that it's evil like today's evil. Stay inside. It's saying that it's evil in that it's fleeting. Today's going to march on whether you're involved with it or not. The days are fleeting. That current of time continues to flow. And if you say, you know what, for this season, I'm going to put hearing and heeding down for a little while. And I'm going to come back to it where I left off. Guess what? You won't be where you left off because you drift. Because time continues to march. The days continue to move like the current in the wind. And the result of being caught up in the busyness of life will be that you stop listening to the message from the air, the creator, the radiance of the glory of God, the image of his nature, the sustainer, the redeemer, and the ruler. And I promise you this, what's in store if you continue in that? is that you, like Paul said to Timothy, will make shipwreck of your faith. The imagery is just too appropriate. You make shipwreck of your faith. Christy and I are training for a half marathon right now. And um, you have to put in some really long runs for that. You can't just... you know, if some of you are thinking, man, that's just insurmountable. I don't know that I could do that. You can. You, you train little baby steps and little small runs that eventually you push the envelope. And what we've realized and what we've been taught through this sort of training thing that we're going through is that these longer runs, the guide for knowing if you're going at the correct pace is if you're going at conversation pace. If you're going for a 10-mile run... At a pace that you would run a mile, you're not going to make it. You're going to (laughs) die. What you're going to eventually do is what we do sometimes if we find ourselves running too fast is we kind of get tunnel vision where we're not talking to each other. I'm not listening to her. She's not listening to me. We're running too hard to really converse. We're not preparing to go the distance. But you got to realize to prepare to go the distance, you have to train to go the the distance. And faith has a certain pace. And if you want to know a good guide for the, the, the pace of faith, it should be a conversation pace. Where not only you can hear from God, but where you can converse and enjoy this with each other. If you're going too fast for that, man, it's just head down, get her done. But the worshiper is preparing to go the distance at conversation pace. Don't be caught up in the currents of life. Man, what are some other currents? What everybody expects that you ought to be? What you expect you ought to make? So you surrender to the current of massive overtime? Here's what we could do if we make all that extra money. You can surrender to the current of the expectations of what you should be as a parent. If you're a proper parent, you're going to have your kids in every activity that's offered in Greenville area, Hunt County. 
If you're not, then you're not a proper parent. That's a current. Is there anything wrong with soccer? No. But you have to say no to some good things to be able to hear at conversation pace. Or you'll find yourself drifting caught up in the current. The third thing, the third exhortation, turn to James chapter 5. This is the last passage I'll have you turn to. James chapter 5. The third exhortation is to consider who you can help into the harbor before they're lost. An encouragement to be about soul rescue. The drifting I've found and I've observed is gradual. And it might begin with being sick for a few weeks, which that happens. <laughs> it happens to everybody. Or it could be, begin with a time of travel or a unique time in the life of your work environment where you have to be gone for a series of Sundays, for example. That happens to everybody. And that in and of itself is not bad. It's part of life. But true drifting starts there. A couple of Sundays turns into a month. A month turns into six months, turns into a year, turns into a decade. And here's the thing that I've heard from people who've been caught up in that. I've heard you, man, nobody call me. Nobody checked on me. And that's so aggravating for me. You know, I have to tell, tell you, that's so aggravating for me. What I've been enslaved to, I'm confessing, is this fear of people feeling like I'm checking roll on them when they're gone for a period of time. I know when people aren't here on a Sunday because I have 45 minutes to an hour to look at every single one of you. You may not think I can see you, but I can totally see you. And I know who's not here. I do. And if a couple Sundays go by where you're not here, I'm asking Tiffany and Annie, were they working in the nursery? Are they okay? Are they well? And I've realized something that I've stayed away from is checking in on them because I don't want them to feel like I'm checking roll on them. But this passage has encouraged me to be about soul rescue. And I hope it encourages you. Listen to this passage from James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, here is drifting. And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Man, if you think back to a time when you've drifted, think about who tugged you back. And what you should do is you should tell them thank you. You should thank God first. But tell them thank you so they know that God used them. Seriously, if you have somebody in your mind right now, make a point this afternoon to follow up with them and say, God used you. You were about the work of soul rescue. You covered a multitude of my sins as I thumbed my nose at you and came dangerously close to crucifying Christ all over again. Thank you. Be about that work of saying thank you to one who pulled you back in, but also be about the work 
of pulling others back in. That's not just my job, just because I'm standing up here recognizing who's not here. I've heard from y'all before. Hey, man, do you know where so-and-so is? I haven't seen them the last few weeks. And I'm thinking, check on them. Holler at them. See if they're still listening. Maybe they've moved, and they've moved to a different geographic location where they're as listening as closely as they ever have. Maybe they've gotten their feelings hurt, and they've just moved to another church. And maybe God is speaking to them still then, and they're still listening. Or maybe they've gotten their feelings hurt, or felt forgotten, and they're not anywhere. Be about the work of soul rescue. You can cover a multitude of sins about bringing them back into the trajectory for the harbor. Bring them back into line for the takeout point. If you don't know who to contact, I don't care if it's years old. What if you check on somebody who's now in another church and is listening? Are they going to be upset because you said, Hey man, I just care about you. I just want to see how your worship is. I want you to let you know I'm praying for you. If they're upset, they've got some problems, man. They ought to be blessed. So err in that direction. It's Satan that's going to say, they're going to be mad because you're checking up on them. Man, that's a blessedness in that. God's going to bless you and potentially bring them back into harbor. He may use you for that. I encourage you to think about who that might be. If you need some names, if you've been around Crosspoint for a period of time, you're like, what's that family's name again that I haven't seen for some time? You can check with me. You can team up with me about encouraging others back into the harbor. And we can team up together with the other elders and the deacons or small group shepherds. Small group shepherds should always be about this work. It should be like a parent in some ways. If a member of your family just kind of goes off the radar. Like I haven't seen little Johnny for like three weeks at dinner. Would you just not care? <laughs> I mean, seriously, you'd say, well, there's something wrong. And if I love little Johnny, I'm, I'm going to move beyond where, how he may feel and say, man, come back to the table. There's good food here. And there's good fellowship. And we love you. And we miss you. Y'all be about that work. Let me pray. And we'll close. The three exhortations. Pay close attention to what we've heard. Worship at conversation pace. Don't let the currents take you. And third, consider who you can help into the harbor. Be about soul rescue. Let's pray. God, ultimately, as we consider these things that can happen to any one of us, we recognize that you are the one that binds our wandering heart to thee. Lord, we confess that, and at the same time, we ask you to use us as a tugboat, our life buoy, or as an encourager, as a brother or sister who can come alongside someone who may be in danger of drifting. Lord, I pray that you will not only give us that work and that attentiveness to that, but that you will also bind our wandering hearts to you. That you will keep us on track for the harbor. That we'll be heading toward the takeout point by your grace and mercy.
I pray that you will give us insight and wisdom into the currents that all of us face. Lord, I pray that you will give us um, brothers and sisters to come alongside to help with the journey and that we can converse with each other as we hear from you as we present tense pay attention to you. Lord, we're thankful that you've spoken perfectly and completely sunwise and that we have all that we need and everything that we need in the person and the work of Jesus explained, illustrated, cover to cover in our Bibles. I pray that as families that we will engage this at a slower pace. I pray that as church and as small groups we will engage this at a pace where we can hear you and talk with others. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We're about to take the supper, and we do that every week because Jesus tells us to, to do it in remembrance of him, and it's not just vague remembrance and specific remembrance. Um, I love that the encouragement in Hebrews this morning is pay much closer attention because I think for many of us it would be enough of a challenge of just pay close attention as opposed to pay much closer attention. Most people I talk to say that it's hard to pay close attention to anything because you're going in so many different directions. I found a quote uh, this last week. I was reading a book on uh, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Living. I don't know if it actually exists, but that's what I'm working on. And the quote said, humorously, time is the quality of nature that keeps everything from happening all at once. Lately, it doesn't seem to be working. I'll read it again. Time is the quality of nature that keeps everything from happening all at once. Lately, it doesn't seem to be working. As I consider drifting, I know that some of y'all are drifting at a one pace and some of y'all are in boats that are going crazy. And I think that prayer helps to sober us up. And so as we take this supper, we need to be very mindful of what Christ has done and how it's supposed to impact every day. Consider how what Christ has done impacts how you listen, how you pay attention, your schedule. And I wanted to go to a prayer from a guy from the 1600s. And uh, I just want to read this and I encourage you to Pray along with it. As you hear others pray, you can sort of say amen and, and agree. But listen to this prayer, and uh, my hope is that it sobers us up so that we might actually pay much closer attention and take this supper rightly. O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. It sounds like he was reading Hebrews 2. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without you, but in submission to you, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness. Between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ but thee? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me. 
or been willing, unless thou had first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner. Such high advancement for B, for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning. Some of us need to own that as we take the the supper this morning. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning. So as we pass the bread, spend some time in confession and in prayer, asking God to show you those things you need to repent from that you might more rightly turn to him. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. The supper is also a supper of anticipation of what is true and certain to happen in the future. Then the imagery at the end is very much in tune with Hebrews 2. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing. (laughs) And may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself. Wean me from sin. Mortify me to this world and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The last time Christ took this supper was with his disciples before his crucifixion, and the next time he takes this supper will be with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what he has done then and what he will do certainly uh, should affect the way we live now. So take this in specific remembrance of your Savior. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Like, we, we read this almost every week. Pay much closer attention to this, lest we drift. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For those who count Christ as our Lord, our Savior, and our treasure, in remembrance and in anticipation, take and drink. Lord, I thank you that there is no one like you. I thank you that the word tells us that you made all of your plans in infinite wisdom before time was created. And then you created time. My prayer for us this morning is that we would see our Creator clearly and that our Creator would guide us more than something created would. I pray that our Creator would inform us more than something created would. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in the lives that we live. I pray that we would be eager to pay close attention. Lord, heeding takes time. And I pray that we would take the time to heed. 
I pray that we would also have a special eye to those who are drifting. I pray that if it's one of us, that you would bring along brothers and Christ, uh, Christian brothers and sisters who would, who would grab us and help us back to the harbor. I pray if we see others that we would uh, be urgent about extending our hand. Lord, we love you. We count today a privilege. We count it a privilege to worship you. As we continue to worship and giving, I pray that we would do so in spirit and truth and wholeheartedly. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, who informs our every move. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Warning passages are difficult because nobody likes to be warned. I mean, really, seriously. I don't really hear people saying, man, please warn me. Please get in my face if you see me drifting. I don't really hear that from people much. But we need that. I don't know that uh, the gravity of heaven and hell and eternity really hit us often enough. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven does hear, hear, and heed. Hear it. The one who does the will of my Father, you could say, who hears and heeds Son. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And you could add all kind of stuff. Didn't we give? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we put a sticker on our car, you know, a little fish. Y'all don't go strip your fish off your car if you got it on there. That's not the point. Didn't we go to Christian school? Nothing wrong with any of these things. But let me tell you something. Lots of people are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did all kind of stuff for you. I sat in so many sermons, long sermons, Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Here are the currents. Currents were blowing the, the wind was blowing. The currents were going. Man, everything in the world was trying to take me off the path. But because it had been founded on the rock, it didn't move. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. <clears throat> I don't want to be part of a church that's just a club. I want to be part of a church that are serious about eternity and serious about hearing and saying, Lord, Lord, and him saying, come on in here. I know you because you heard it and heeded me. I called you and I saw it through. Come into the safe harbor. I want to be part of that work. If there's 10 of us, May we be 10 who are heading for the harbor, who are encouraging other for the harbor because there's too much at stake. Lots of people will come and go to church for their whole lives and they will hear the words, I never knew you. Does that ever hit you?
seriously. When you're mowing your grass, do you ever think, man, eternity's a long time. When you're making dinner, do you ever think, man, hell is going to be hot. Warning passages are there for a reason. Because there's a lot at stake. And most people don't get it. Most people just want to be in a club. Most people want life improvement. Sin management. Nicer people to hang out with. Tidy noses and parted hair. No thank you. There's too much at stake. This is a sober journey we're on. We can have fun. But when we're talking about heading for the harbor, let's be a sober people. Deacons, deacon. Elders, pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. Shepherds of families, take this seriously. There's too much at stake. Most won't get it. Man, let's be serious about it. We're not a club. I'm going to pray about this, and then I'm going to invite a couple of families or a family up and and present them for membership, and then Scott's going to present another family for membership. But let me say this before I pray. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, let me tell you something. I've been in church my whole life, or I've kind of been next to church, or I've kind of heard these things, but I've never really been serious about this kind of stuff. I've never really thought about eternity, heaven or hell, missing the harbor, missing the takeout point, and I need some help. Please don't let this Sunday come and go. Here's my promise to you. If you let these sort of realities come and go, that's the seed that falls on the wayward soil that the ravens come, call, call, pick it up, and it's gone and over. By grace and mercy, I pray that you will be good soil, that that seed that hits you this morning will find real purchase. And you're like, man, there's too much at stake. It's not just about a heaven or hell thing for me either. It's about me wanting to engage the air the creator, the radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature, the sustainer, the ruler, the redeemer. I want to know that one. Man, please follow through on that. There's too much at stake. Let me pray. God, may we not be a club. God, may we be about a work of engaging each time we engage you in each other like it's our very last, like we're going to get hit by a car on our bicycle that week, like we're going to meet you face-to-face that week, or like you're going to return that week. I pray for an urgency and a sobriety in this church. Lord, I pray for very few that will go out from us because they were never really of us. I pray for very few, and in fact, I pray for none that will drift beyond the harbor or beyond the takeout point. I pray that we can be a church and a people who are serious about soul rescue. By your grace and mercy, Lord, work that in us. Lord, I pray that we can fight to rest in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.